You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 63. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Balticon 50's Metamore City Retrospective. All right, I'm Doc Coleman. I'm going to be your moderator. I'm going to start asking the questions, but we're going to let you ask some questions too. With me is, of course, Metamore City's creator, Chris Lester. And a long lasting Metamore City player is Christiana Ellis. And I also want to point out that here in the audience is the woman without whom making the cut would never have been finished. Fallen Jackson, a.k.a. Snippy. Snippy regrets he was not able to make it to this class. <laughs> so I guess let's, let's, let's go back to the very beginning. Uh, after you started writing your Metamorph Keep stories set in the future, mm-hmm. what made you decide to podcast them? There are two things that made the biggest difference in that decision. Hi, Michael. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael Spence, he is the voice of one of my characters in the award-winning Whispers in the Wood. So, um, back in the late 90s is when I started writing the Metamorph Keep stories set in the future, um, because there were a bunch of us who were discussing what the world of Metamorph Keep, a sort and sorcery universe, might look like if it actually developed it continue to develop advanced technology. And since they have the ability to cheat by combining magic with aforementioned technology. And I was putting these stories out there to my mailing list that I was part of and was just getting zero traction. There were like one or two people there who really liked my stuff. And then it was just crickets, which was very different from the experience I had with my other stuff. So I was like, hmm. Are these stories actually bad, or is it just not my audience? So at the time, fast forward a number of years um, to when I was done with grad school and was working the desk job um, where I was spending long hours sort of typing away, doing very repetitive tasks on the computer, and I started listening to podcasts and audiobooks in order to not go crazy. And uh, very much. One of the books that I, I listened to was um, Philip Pullman's uh, His Dark Materials, which was a full cast read. And that was the first time I'd encountered, well, not the second, second time I'd encountered an audiobook that used multiple narrators. The first would have been Ender's Game and its sequels. But in those books, it was just one narrator reading each section, depending upon the viewpoint character. And this was actually having all of the the characters consistently voiced by their own actors. And so that was, it was really eye-opening how much it felt like it added to the immersion of the story. The second event was uh, T. Morris's Bill Above Battings, in the case of The Singing Sword, um, which took the same concept and then added in music and sound effects in order to recreate the world of 1920s Chicago. So I listened to that and said, this is maybe what I need in order to get people's attention and you know, get them to start listening to this world of the future that I've created. So I decided you know, to start throwing stuff out there and see if it stuck, and it stuck. 
<laughs> now your, your your first few episodes were were basically short stories. Mm-hmm. Had you had you planned on doing the the full cast of of making the cut when you started it? I knew that I wanted to get to the point where I could do full cast. I did not know when I started writing it and when I started my preparations for Metamore City. I didn't know how long making the cut was going to be. I thought this was just going to be like a novella that would you know, help to pad out the world of the universe a bit. And uh, then it just ended up 185,000 words. So I knew that I wanted I wanted full cast. That was my objective. I wasn't able to get full cast for my first couple of episodes. Well, I think first three or four episodes mm-hmm. were all single read. But as soon as I was able to get enough people interested to start getting some traction on that, that was where I, what I was aiming for. I had no idea how much work it was going to be. So, do you remember when Chris first asked you to be part of, of Metamore City? Uh, well, you know, I mean... A lot of it kind of all blurs together back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Golden age. You know, <laughs> all it, that drinking. The evolution of the podcast space and specifically the podcast fiction space has changed so much over the last several years, right? I think part of what makes it all kind of connect is that uh, back when it first started, it was such a small community. And it kind of felt like everybody knew, knew each other already. And there was an element of just, well, sure, you know. My, my buddy Chris wants me to do a, a, a role. So, yeah, all right, that sounds fun. So, and uh, one of the things that I really liked in the, in the story is just, especially when we're in this early uh, uh, adoption of the podcast medium for this type of storytelling, uh, there, there really wasn't anything out there that I had heard like it, and so it was an exciting thing to be part of. Being part of, part of a new storytelling. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, and also because I was kind of doing some of my own stuff too, it's nice to do the voice acting part without having to do the production part. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> okay, um, Mike. I don't remember the exact time that, uh, that I was asked to join into this, um, but I do remember, of course, he, he sent me uh, the story, and I read through the story, and I kept thinking, wow, there is an amazing amount of depth here. And it was the sort of thing that grabs you from the get-go. Chris is able to write supernatural stuff. He can write murder mysteries. He can go toe-to-toe with X-Files any day. And and on top of that, I get to play an academic. Wonderful. So, so when you signed up, you had you basically had the whole story set out in front of you. Yes. Okay. And of course, when when Christiana start, signed up to start playing, Chris was still writing the story. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh-oh. I started writing, making the cut, the spring before I debuted the podcast. So spring of two thousand seven, and I finished making the cut in. I believe it was December of 2008. Mm-hmm. So 
which is uh, there is a significant difference here. Mm -hmm. The cut, which is a novel, Whispers in the Wood, was a novella. A novella. And so he had the opportunity to give it to me. It wasn't a matter of uh, look at this and tell me if you really want to do it or not. Well, it was, as he presented it. I don't know, I, I wanted to do it anyway because I hadn't been, I don't know how many bits I had done in the world of podcast fiction. See, I didn't have my own podcast, unlike just about everybody else here. I had done bits, lots, lots of little bits. I was fortunate enough to get a cameo in this uh, other kind of neat book called The Empress Sword. <laughs> which, uh, which is complete and uh, readable, but uh, it went through growing pains. And <laughs> oh, yeah, and it, it, it did change a lot. So if you want, if you want to read the Emperor's Sword, go ahead. I recommend it. I think the audio. Uh, as much as we did of it is still available, and you get to listen to us having a lot of fun. Yeah, I know that's really fun. Well, you know, one of the things about doing the voice acting, even mm -hmm. though the story wasn't finished, and having the role evolve as your performance. Well, right. I mean, but uh, in some ways, I think that's probably a lot how people on a, an ongoing television show mm -hmm. um, have to approach it. Is for example, a good something that kind of always strikes me as a good example of this is season one of Agents of Shield. I hope nobody minds spoilers of season one. Grant Ward was not Brett Dalton. I think is the actor's name. Was not told about Grant Ward being secretly Hydra. Mm -hmm. He was not told basically until the, it was revealed, reading the script where that would be revealed. And so mm -hmm. the, the point is you have to have the faith of acting the truth of what's on the page that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And trust that the person who is writing it is going to produce the, the arc necessary. So you don't have to necessarily secretly know the true answer of what's coming later. Because if you think about reading a novel, if it's not revealed yet, you're not going to know that. And so if you were to try to sort of build foreshadowing of the twist into your performance when it's not already there on the page, that's counterproductive. So ultimately, I guess what I'm saying is I was able to really just trust that yeah. performing what was on the page is what's going to get it done. And so... I didn't need to know the whole story in advance. So it's very much a case of, of acting, and I guess writing, in the moment mm -hmm. uh, 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 that the characters are going through. It's, it's very reminiscent to me of, of uh, Babylon 5, where you have these two characters, Shakar and Londa Malari, who started out in very different places than where they ended up. And JMS, the creator, did not tell them, the actors, where their characters were going, because he said, I want you to play the process and not the result. Right. Mm -hmm. So, one question I've been wanting to ask you for years, Chris. <laughs> How the heck did you get a staff to volunteer to edit your episode? <laughs> um, I think Clippy is probably the best one to answer this, because I still don't know why they ever said yes. No one in their right mind should have taken on that amount of work voluntarily. Well, it didn't start out to be that volume of work. It started out, you basically, on the podcast saying, 
uh, I'm sorry this is taking so long, but this is a lot more work than I thought it was. And at the time, I was already doing the same kind of editing work for PG Holyfield with Abaddon Hill, Murder at Abaddon Hill. And I said, if I'm doing it for, you know, two hours for PG, I can throw in another two hours another night for Chris. That turned into eight to ten hours a week, <laughs> eventually, but it just kind of built up over time. And it was, it was never like a big, oh, I'll just, you know, spend half of my free time on you know, working for Chris. <laughs> so, so were you ever editing for more than just PG and Chris? Well, and yourself. Yes. Yeah, that was about it. Just, just those three. That was about it. I did occasional little bits for other people, so, on a long-term basis. So, so this has to lead into the nemeses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for those who aren't familiar, in, in the podcast community, there came up this idea that you had to have a nemesis, <laughs> and people started picking out who was their nemesis. And, and this is all, all for purposes of promotion. Like, I think it started with, didn't it start with, with Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins? I th- yeah, it's, it started with Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. So you have these guys you know, creating these little things to poke fun at each other. It was kind of like, it started out kind of like the Mac and PC yeah. Um, yeah. T- television commercials and uh, all per- you know, for the purposes of cross-promotion. So carry on. Yeah, and, and yeah, they, and they came up with some basically some beautiful little audio bits to, to drop into other people's podcasts to promote both of them. But it's basically them bickering back and forth at each other and about who is the greatest. And, yeah, and it became really fun when the parsecs started coming along, and, and especially the ones where where Scott's huh. out to be the Susan Lucci. Well, well yeah. Scott, <laughs> Scott, Jim Z creating that for Scott Sigler's next one. But Scott, you've never won a parsec. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, I was thinking of some of the ones where um, Hutchins is having problems saying the word parsec, mm-hmm. and, and and then he got treatment, and <laughs> um, and we had a bunch of different nemesis events, and I guess T. Morris basically decided well, before he was, T. Morris, let's let's, okay. let's well, um, deal with the elephant in the room, okay, um, which is my first Balticon, which was number forty-two eight years ago now, okay. P.G. Holyfield approaches me and, uh, you know, he's, he says, you know, I want to be, you know, I think we should be nemeses. And, uh, you know, there, we both felt that our worlds had enough in common in terms of being these fantasy worlds with deep magical histories and, you know, lots of intrigue and lots and lots and lots of characters. And gods who walk the earth. And gods who walk the earth. And uh, it seemed like there was there was enough that was similar in flavor there that people who were interested in one of our works would be interested in the other. And so he approached me, I think it was uh, initially on Twitter in the months leading up to Balticon. And then that year we both showed up with t-shirts for each other. Um, so I gave him a Metamore City t-shirt and he gave me an Abaddon Hill t-shirt and we both took pictures, we, we had our pictures taken with us staring each other down in our respected, in each other's t-shirts. It was awesome. And uh, that nemesis relationship went off and on for a while. Um, it kind of stalled out because PG was having some trouble finishing Abaddon Hill, and so there was a long period where I wasn't, I was producing and he wasn't. And uh, then we both, I think we both ended up finishing our novels about the same time. But then, um, how many of you guys know, know PJ, PG's story? 
pretty much yeah. anybody okay. who doesn't. Um, so for for the Balticon podcast listeners, do you want to? For the Balticon podcast listeners, um, it was two years ago. Three? Yeah, just almost three. Yeah, almost three years ago, um, TG discovered that he had a very aggressive and rare form of cancer that took him within months of his his diagnosis. Yeah, it yeah. was it was kind of heart wrenching. He he knew he knew he was ill. He came to Balticon, and shortly after he got back, he found out that it was cancer, and his health very quickly deteriorated over the summer. And um, hmm? no, 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 he, he died in August. Yeah, but it basically hit him so fast, and hit all of us so fast that there was very little that we could do other than then reach out to him and and let him know how much we loved him and appreciated him and. Not just for the the characters that he created and the worlds that he shared with us, but for the person he was mm-hmm. and the joy and friendship he brought into the world for us. It's rather like the song, as the song says, I just turned around and he was gone. Yeah. Yeah. So um, after, in the, I think it was about that December that T. Morris and Val Griswold Ford um, started putting together the memorial book. For, for PG, Tales of Tesla Ranger. And uh, so got many of us who were friends of PG's together and uh, had each of us contribute a story. And I had not really been writing for years at that point. I was ostensibly working on the next novel uh, in Metamore City, but it wasn't really going anywhere. I hadn't been podcasting in several years. And um, it was a cold, brutal wake-up call. Because I always you, you always think like when you're in your 30s, you've got your whole life ahead of you, really, and mm-hmm. uh, until the day you don't. And uh, so we um, we put together the, this book, and uh, T asked me to contribute to the story, and I I knew I had to write about our relationship as nemesis, and I, it really became a a meditation on complacency and how much I had become complacent in my own creation and how I was allowing the years to sort of spin past me and not making anything. And so I wrote that story where I was sort of making my promise to Holyfield's ghost that I was not going to let time slip away from me anymore. And however many years I have left, I'm going to keep writing. And uh, it was my friend Dan Sawyer who gave me the format idea for the Raven and the Writing Desk, which was, you know, write every day, write for an hour a day, and then on the weekend, record and podcast what you've been working on, and just keep it simple. And um, in the last year, I've wrote, written 236,000 words um, using that pattern. So, Oh, you've been seeing them, like, um, you know, part of that includes the Three Graces, part of that includes To Walk in Shadow, you know, a lot of the stuff that's in uh, Divine Intervention, this new stuff. Yeah, and... I'm working on it. I am working on the next book, The Lost and the Least, and I'm about 70,000 words, 80,000 words into that, so... Okay, bring it back up. Uh, (laughs) Bring it (laughs) up. Now, now I have to admit that 
I did not get to to live through the heyday of, of Metamore City as it happened. I came into the podcasting scene a little bit late and had to catch up on this huge volume of work that everyone was putting out together at the same time. So the whole deal with the nemesis, did that come before or after the the, the Oakcord attempted to take over all the podcasts? It was before. The Oakcord was... Okay. Listening. Um... I, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Would, so remember when, when Nina Kimberly decided she was going to take over all the podcasts? Oh, oh, right. So, yeah, that was uh, to go along with the the launch of uh, the print version mm-hmm. of Nina Kimberly. So that was 2009. Okay. Um, and that's, so I was kind of doing a, uh, basically just a new version of the same book to try to cross-promote with the print version of which is right here. Um, what I will advise to anyone considering this is don't ever do that. Because <laughs> it's twice as much work for not twice as much product. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was, uh, that was in 2009. And that's, things were starting to change at that point because it had definitely reached the point where, you know, on patio books, you had not listened to everything that was on patio books anymore, and it was starting to be like, oh, shoot, there's actually a lot of people doing this now. It's mm-hmm. kind of exciting. Yeah. But also, like, th- that really tight-knit community mm-hmm. starts to get bigger and necessarily kind of a little bit diluted by comparison. So it's, it, it's yeah. an evolving process, you know, it's good to have more people, but it still doesn't feel like but a club quite You, you reach that point where you can't keep up with what everybody's doing, because there's so much of it, you'd have to stop doing what you're doing in order to find out what yeah. everyone else is doing. Right, and you start to see that there are faces in the... Sorry? It's rather like science fiction itself during the 60s. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There was a time when you could have read everything really major. And I, I figured uh, when Michael Bishop started getting, uh, when his career really got underway, that's about when I kind of lost touch with everything. In there. Mm-hmm. So, and as with any expanding field, yeah. so with podcast fiction. In a way, podcasting went through the same growing pains as every other kind of social media did between 2005 and two, you know, 2015, where yeah. it starts getting used for other things, and you know, you've outgrown your monkey sphere, which is the technical term for the <laughs> number of people that you can know and have meaningful relationship with, and you know, still keep track of everybody, and. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons that Twitter is not as useful to us anymore as it used to be. Um, podcasting has become a much harder thing to keep track of. Um, and that was even before all of the commercial podcasts that are being produced now, you know, where you've got, you know, podcasting has become this major business. You know, you've got This American Life producing cereal and, you know, getting a million listeners in their first episode. Yeah. So, yeah. Mainstay of iTunes top ten is the rebroadcast of old Car Talk episodes. Mm-hmm. Go figure. I mean, I like yeah. the show. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying that's a very different sort of thing. Yeah. Than when we. What is it, Tommy? Died, right? Uh, I'm. One of them. Yeah, one of them did. I'm. Right, but my point is, it's all old content, it's all rebroadcast, and yet it is reliably one of the top ten most downloaded podcasts every week. Right. That's very different than the the Golden Age of Podcasts. Yes, exactly. 
Okay. 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 They would not be doing it if they were not making money. That's true. Out. Well, yeah. It seems like with them, the art's not original content. They're yeah. putting out what they're putting on the radio. Well, Serial's original content, yeah. and Invisibilia is, yeah. is original content. And you've got companies like Gimlet Media, which right. stood up just to create podcasts. And Gimlet Media's so. shows are all excellent. They have fantastic yeah. production values. They tell great stories. They, they deserve all of the success in the world that they're getting. Yeah. But, Pacific Northwest radio with black tapes and times. So before I, I open up to questions from the audience, I just wanted to ask each of the panelists, so are there any particular fond memories from, from back in the heyday? Famous uh, events that happened during the early days of Metamore City that wish to recapture a little of that now? Start from that end. <laughs> I think it's a sense of discovery. Who saw Star Wars coming? <laughs> and uh, so along comes, is it what, 1977? And suddenly, here comes a spaceship flying through the void, zoom, and getting shot at by this shape that noses its way into the screen. And then more of it comes into the sky, and then more, and then more, and more, until the whole bloody thing takes over the screen, <laughs> and you wonder, what has happened to our world? Something has changed, and you won't look at things quite the same way again. That's how we felt with a number of people's new worlds that they brought us in podcasting. It was radio drama recaptured. The thing about films like Star Wars and television is that it is limited to the visual imagination of the producers. And as Stan Freeberg pointed out, it's limited to, what, 23 inches. Or in the case of Star Wars, it may be the galaxy far away, but it's up there on the wall, and that is it. When you've got radio, you're not limited to that. Whether it's broadcast radio or podcast radio, you can go anywhere. And that's what was happening with podcast fiction. And so we were discovering things. And then along comes this world in which you have, it's an anti-Larry Niven setup. You remember the magic goes away? Magic is dying and technology is taking its place. Wasn't just lots of authors were doing it that way. However, here's a universe in which you have magic and technology, and both of them are on the increase. So that raises a whole lot of questions. You think it's going to be totally chaotic, but it will be. Well, no, see, that's just it. It isn't. At the moment, at least, it isn't totally chaotic because there are people who do know how it works. We call them wizards. Now, a lot of us don't know how. Because I'm a wizard. Does things. At which point, you point uh, Artax points you to the little sign over his counter. Because I'm a wizard. That's how. In fact, I wrote a little article saying that really what we call magic is 
is either technology, personal attribute, or diplomacy. And I still think that holds up. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, so anyhow, that kind of discovery. It was something I hadn't encountered before. That's always fun. That is never not fun. And then with Whispers in the Wood, out came the music. <laughs> out came the violin. Out came Frenity. A whole new set of discoveries. <laughs> wow. Miss Ellis, have you gotten an answer for us? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's not so much like one specific thing, mm -hmm. but just the various tracks where I'm getting the scripts, I'm doing my own audio for my character Fiona, and then I'm also listening to the episodes as they come out. And I'm getting the chapters that my character is in, and I'm not necessarily seeing everything else. And so that kind of gave me this sort of three-track discovery <laughs> process, like when you're a listener of something that's coming out on an ongoing basis, you can't binge it, you just get the little treat when it comes out. I kind of had that, you know, and it's not that it's not fun to do your own stuff too, but again, separating it from the production part, which is definitely the part that's more work, mm. it was just kind of like this extra little bonus fun that I got every every time a new chapter headed my way. So it's kind of, here's my bit, here's how I'm doing my bit, and oh my god, it turned into that. <laughs> <laughs> How did it feel the first time that you heard the episode where she was stuck inside the bubble at the skyboard? <laughs> you know, that was certainly one where it's like, it's such like a traumatic, you know, uh, experience for the character and then just to layer on the various effects and to hear it with the emotion in the voices of the other characters too and having all of that come together it's it's a bit like uh people playing in an orchestra you know you know how to play your part you've practiced your part alone in your room however many times and then you get to hear it with the whole orchestra and it's transformative i was going to be flip here and say that my moment is T. Morris dry humping me on J. Daniel Sawyer's couch, but... <laughs> Let's keep that moment separate. <laughs> we should never speak of it again. Uh, but no, I'm going to say the first time that I came to Balticon, I got hug-bombed by all these people that I had heard their voices and had them on my podcast, but you know, had never met them in, in person before. And I come in to the bar at Hunt Valley Inn and you know, within 30 seconds of arriving this giant of a man <laughs> comes up and is like Chris, it's no bliss and it's like <laughs> this giant hug and it's like okay and then Mer Lafferty who was already at least two sheets to the wind is on Chris wraps herself around me and you may need to give some context to the podcast listeners that Chris... Chris, Chris is a rather tall man. He's, he's had to go through most of his life looking over the heads of other people. Right. When he describes Nobilis as a big man, it's like, this is the guy who's looking down at the top of my head. Pretty much, yes. So that... And six foot eight when he that was my moment where it was like, okay, I'm home. Yeah. Does anyone from the audience have any questions? Hi. 
so Fiona is a rather kind of stern and very serious person. Mm -hmm. That's not exactly what you usually write yourself or, or what you play most of the time. And I'm wondering what, you know, how that was for you. Well, you know, it, it's certainly true that uh, a lot of my protagonist-type characters are, tend to be much more snarky, sarcastic types. Uh, you know, Criminal. Talk their way out of situations, uh, that sort of thing. So it's certainly different, but I mean, I think the, the key is still understanding that just because someone might be less verbose, not quite as demonstrative, in their emotion doesn't mean that they're feeling it any less deeply. You know, the, the challenge is how to try to convey that in the voice, it's because I don't even have any body language to show anybody. But at the same time, even when you're doing voice acting, a lot of the time, the way to get it to come through in the voice is to be doing it yourself. And so maintaining that tension in your back or your shoulders and just understanding that you've, you're feeling it even if you're not showing it and just kind of trusting that it'll come across in the performance. Gentlemen, we're back. I know you've uh, layered in some hints as to what's going to be happening, but what can you tell us about what's coming up? Rocks fall, everyone dies. <laughs> <laughs> the center um, cannot stand. <laughs> In the Lost and the Least, you're going to see a the shadow war between the White Widow and the Syndicate take on some new dimensions. Our heroes in Metamore City Police Department start to see evidence of serial killers at work in the city who are <coughs> murdering people off the street for ritual magic purposes. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, help spread the word by leaving a review on iTunes, or review my books on Amazon. It really does make a big difference. That's all for this week. Come back next time for more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 and 2016 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org. <laughs>